This is great. I was thinking as I was sitting here that I don't know why we were called the pastor search team. In fact, it's a poor choice of names for our committee because God already had him in mind. God just didn't tell us and him at the time. And so I think if we ever have to do this again 20, 30, 40 years from now, I think we should be called the pastor reveal team. And I'm going to be sitting cheering on that chairman, and I'm going to say, I'm calling you the oh, wow team, because we've been blessed. Um, it's my overwhelming pleasure this morning to welcome Pastor Lamar Morin and his wife, Lynn. We just uh, appreciate you so much to being here. They've been real troopers working alongside us these last several weeks, preparing for this morning. With the pandemic, we as a pastor reveal team... Um, wanted to open avenues to our membership to learn about them, to get to know them, to understand their heart before Pastor ever came to preach to us in view of a call. And so they've sat with us for a lengthy interview, which hopefully most of you have seen online by now. Uh, we've aired that on our website. Lamar answered several of your questions also on video, which is on our website. Um, on Thursday evening, I understand, I wasn't here, but I understand that um, Lamar uh, was able to also bring his heart and some uh, great ideas towards the ministry and that our Sunday school leadership and our deacons were blessed by that as well. And so he comes to you uh, to preach this morning. I'm hoping that many of you have already revealed or felt that um, the heart of this precious couple as they come to minister to us. And I think the other beautiful thing for us as a search team we didn't have to explain red or green. <laughs> but I, I, let me tell you this. I'll be, I would be remiss if I failed to mention Pastor John Torson. Um, not only in the way... Yes. Not only in the way that he helped initiate our search team, but also in the way that he has led this body over the last several weeks in preparation again for this morning. And I'm reminded, I, I reminded myself again this morning of his last words to us last week when he reminded us that this isn't so much a vote. This is an affirmation of, uh, for our congregation as revealed through God's work through our search team, through our elders, and through our pastors. So church body, brothers and sisters, help me to welcome Pastor Lamar Morin. Please sit down. Thank you. Hello, Hoffman Town. I've been waiting a long time to say that. And I just want to tell you something. Lynn and I are honored and especially humbled to be here at this time, in this place, for such a time as this. And I thank you for being here. And I thank you for having the orchestra back. Wow. 
Let me pray as we get started. Would you join me in prayer? God, today my prayer is simple, and it's this. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about you, Lord. This is for your glory alone, and we worship you today. God, we'd ask that you'd speak to us through your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Today, we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah, that historical narrative in the Old Testament. You'll want to turn and find that. We're going to be in the last few verses of chapter 2 and all of chapter 3. But don't panic. I'm not going to read all of chapter 3. In fact, I would dare you to try to do that because there's a lot of hard words in there and names. But we're going to look at this story as I think it's very important to you. And I want to let you know that God gave this text to me on July 21st. I have it written down because of a friend of mine named Ken Brady, What he had written down spoke to me, and I said, okay, Lord, what are we going to do with this? And been trying to work on that ever since. It started in 1976. Something happened that had never happened before. The United States men's basketball Olympic team lost out on the gold medal because of a controversial finish to the Russian national team. And because of that, leaders and other people gathered together and began to create a vision and began to create direction and set into motion events so that might never happen again. And the culmination of this plan came about with the 1992 men's, United States men's Olympic basketball team. Maybe you've heard of them before. It's where the term the dream team was coined. And now we use the dream team all the time. We use it in business. We might use it in church. We might call our pastor search team the dream team. We might call a lot of things that. But this is where it came about. And this was the first American Olympic basketball team to include active pros, pros that were actually playing in the NBA at that time. And journalists around the world called this the greatest team that was ever composed or put together, the greatest sports team. In fact, 11 of the players and two of the coaches and even later the team itself were inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame, the dream team. I want you to keep that phrase in mind this morning. So, Lamar, how did they do? Well, they averaged winning every game towards the gold medal by 44 points. How do you think they did? That's pretty good. Today, I want us to think about this. We're going to see another dream team from another time, from another place. The coach is Nehemiah. And the dream team are those folks that are listed in chapter 3 of Nehemiah as we take a look at the wall being rebuilt and the recovery of Jerusalem. So let's give a little context today. We're going to start in 2.17, but before I read that scripture, I want you to think about context a little bit because we're just dropping right down into the middle of the story. We haven't had a chance to preach up to this point. And so you have Ezra. You've heard of Ezra and Nehemiah. They're twins. They kind of go together. In fact, they should go together, those two books. And they span about 100 years, but most of the details deal with this short period of time. Now, Nehemiah is not meant to provide a complete history. Rather, it is didactic. And what that means is this story is intended to teach specific lessons. And I pray that we're going to get some lessons this morning 
from this passage of Scripture. Nehemiah is what we call a meta-narrative. It's a big story, a narrative, and it's long, and it goes on and on, and much of it, as we'll see even today, and your homework, by the way, this week is to read all of chapter 3 and following and discover about it. But it's in first person. It's very unique to Scripture in this way. And it talks about, or behind the context, is what we call the exile. Have you heard of that? The exile? And the Jewish people were forced into exile. Why? Why were there destruction of lives? Why was there this city that came to be in ruins? The fall of the southern kingdom uh, really got it going, and that happened in 586 B.C. They were forced into exile because of their disobedience, their turning from Yahweh, their God, the covenant God of Israel, to do their own thing and to mix in and have other idols and different things. So this all came to a head and they were sent into exile. And where we're going to pick up the story is with Nehemiah. He's actually leading the third wave of exiles back to Jerusalem. It's almost 100 years after Zerubbabel led the first wave. Anybody in here named your first son Zerubbabel? Let me see. No, Zerubbabel, then Ezra, and then now Nehemiah. So that's some context, and we need to know that because some people had been there for a while back in Jerusalem, and they've kind of gotten comfortable and settled. Yet, Nehemiah knew that God had promised his blessing, that God would restore his blessing to them if they returned to him, and that's what Nehemiah was all about. So we find Nehemiah, he's at the height of power and influence in Persia. He's the king's cupbearer. And let's make sure we understand he's not a carpenter, as we'll find out. He's not a carpenter, he's a cupbearer. He's got a special place and trust with this pagan king. And he loves scripture. I think that's important to note in our context. And he loves prayer. And if you'll read the whole story, he spends time in prayer to God. And at this point where we pick it up, he's ready to lead. And he asks permission from this pagan king to return to Jerusalem to rebuild it. Now, that's a dangerous thing. In fact, scripture will say the king thinks his heart looks a little sad. I mean, his face a little sad or troubled. And back then, if the king was displeased by anything... You could be gone. And yet it gives this opportunity for Nehemiah to make the ask, if you will, to return to Jerusalem to rebuild it. You see, Nehemiah is a guy who's ready to take action. That's one of the things I want you to get today, how important action is. Especially in our world today in 2020, we have got to act on behalf of the Lord and his kingdom. And he's ready to do the work of God. Now, we know from Scripture that Nehemiah, that God's hand is on him. And so he travels back to Jerusalem, and he calls the Jews who are there to rise up and rebuild the gates and the walls of the city. You see, this is going to be a dream team who's ready to go to work. Let's pick it up in uh, chapter 2, verse 17. Let's look at that. So I, that would be Nehemiah, So I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned down. Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem's walls so that we will no longer be a disgrace. Maybe your translation says reproach. It's a strong word. Verse 18, I told them how the gracious hand of my God had been on me and what the king had said to me. And they said, look what they said. Let's start rebuilding. 
and they were encouraged to do this good work. When Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about this, they mocked and despised us and said, What is this you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And I gave them this reply. Look at this, church. The God of heaven is the one who will grant us success. We, his servants, will start building, but you have no share, right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. It's a dream team getting ready to work. Now, hard work is a term that some people don't like to hear today. And I guarantee you, hard work is in the rebuilding of walls, if you've ever experienced that. Sam Ewing said it this way about hard work. I want to read this to you. I thought it was good. Hard work spotlights the character of people. Some turn up their sleeves. Some turn up their noses. And some don't turn up at all. Wow. But not this dream team. Now let's think about today. Today there is no need to rebuild a wall in Jerusalem. Today what we are building is God's eternal kingdom. And it's throughout the world. Amen? And yet it's also right here in Albuquerque where we leave. And let me tell you this, church, there is work for all of us. And the question today is, will we do the work? Jesus said this in John 9, 4. John 9, 4. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. I thought about football season starting and work and about how some people might roll up their sleeves or turn up their noses or not get involved. And I thought about this definition I read of a football game. Have you heard this definition? Football, a game of football is 22 guys who desperately need a rest, being watched by millions of people who desperately need exercise. (laughs) Amen? Is that not right? Look, church can be like that. Some people in church choose to sit and watch. Have you noticed that? Not you guys, you're here today. They like to be what we call armchair quarterbacks. Some even gripe, some even complain about circumstances and about our culture. But I want you to hear some good news today. Others build. They build. The story of Nehemiah reminds us it's time to pick up a tool and join in the building of Christ's church. Now, let's get the big idea. Hopefully, you got some sermon notes there when you came in. I, I, I want you to always have the big idea of what we're looking at. What has God said to me in this passage? And here it is. I'm going to read it. You should have it in your notes. In the work of God, the greatest accomplishments come from a unity of purpose. I want you to catch that. When people of diverse backgrounds, interests, even abilities joined together under a compelling vision. You see, if we have a compelling vision and we want to be unified and we want to work together and we recognize our diversity, but that's not the main thing. The main thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ and getting that out to the world. We can accomplish great things in God's work. In fact, I would say this, we could be a dream team. There's three things we have to realize, I think, from this passage in order to do that. Number one is we must have a shared vision, a shared vision. Number two, 
we need to have dedicated leaders. And I'm impressed here at Hoffmantown already. I'm just going to tell you that. That's not in the notes. I just want to tell you that. Dedicated leaders. And number three, we have to have willing workers. Let me ask you a few questions today. Do you live for a cause that's greater than yourself? Do you lay your life down for those you love? Do you fix your mind, your eyes on Jesus? Do you lead by example? You see, we're all leaders. Somebody's watching. Somebody's taking direction from us, whether we think that's true or not. So let's think about this today. We have the opportunity to answer yes to those questions as we experience God's presence in our life, as we experience the truth of his word, as we experience the gospel that has penetrated our lives, we have the chance to say yes to these questions. Again, Jesus speaking. This is John chapter 4, verse 34. Listen to what Jesus says. My food, or my nourishment, is to do the will of him who sent me and to, catch this, finish his work. You guys, if that's good enough for Jesus, that's good enough for Lamar. What about you? We are to be about finishing his work. So let's go back to chapter 2 again and just uh, see those verses we read and think about shared vision. Number one, shared vision. First of all, if you would go back and again read the beginning of Nehemiah, you would see the risk that Nehemiah had just asking this request. And then he comes, and then the text right before we read, I call it the midnight ride of Nehemiah. You've heard of the midnight ride of Paul Revere. Well, he kind of sneaks in and looks around and checks things out. He's getting prepared. He's making sure that vision is what it needs to be. Let's talk about vision for just a minute. Vision is shared in context. You see, it's not formed as this academic exercise, okay, what we might do in school. Vision comes rather in response to seen needs. And we see here in Nehemiah that he, it's clearly he's seen a great need. And the vision is being developed in that context. And Nehemiah is speaking to the people. Did you catch that? In verse 17 and following where we read, Nehemiah is speaking to uh, the people who have returned in whatever wave of, from exile, and he's there in Jerusalem in context at this site. So shared vision has context. Secondly, it has commonality. Just think about this for a minute. Now, now Scripture doesn't record this. Scripture records this dream, dream team that's at work in concert together. But can you imagine if some guy came along and he thought he'd build a decorative fence you know, all frou-frou, that's what I call it. That's a Hebrew word for fancy, okay? Yeah, the decorated fence, or another guy thought, well, it just needs to be a complete fortress or castle. Can you imagine what that would have been like? That would have been chaos. Chaos would have reigned. So you've got to have commonality. Another thing about shared vision is shared vision always brings the work into focus. It's one thing to stand and say, we need to get to work, but it's another thing to share a vision and share the focus that goes with that. And the task that Nehemiah gives, let's look at it again. Verse 17, so I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. He's very focused. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned down. And here it is. Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem's wall. 
specific, measurable, brings it into focus. Why? So there would be a defense for Jerusalem and God's people. And if you go to chapter 6, verse 15, you find something amazing about shared vision that brings the work into focus. It's this. Do anybody, Bible scholars out there, students know? They did all this work in 52 days. Unbelievable. So it brings the work into focus. And of course, uh, the theme today is shared vision requires a dream team. And as we will see, there's leaders and workers from diverse backgrounds, from diverse locations who would come together for this task, and it could not be accomplished without all of them. The only way it could be accomplished in that span of time was for all of them to work. So are we good? Are you tracking with me? Shared vision is an important thing, and it just pops out of the pages of these first couple chapters of Nehemiah as we think about God's work. Number two, dedicated leaders. Let me make a statement to you this morning. God accomplishes his purpose through people. Have you noticed that? That blows my mind away. I, have, I, I cannot comprehend why the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, the God who reached down and saved me, first of all, would want to save me. Hello? Anybody? He would want to save us, sinners. And he would want to work in my life, and he'd want to work through me. God, why don't you just use lightning bolts and zap everyone? But God works through people. It's not his only plan. He can do it as he wants to. But it seems to me as I read scripture, it's plan A. He wants to work through us. And people need leaders to motivate them and organize them for the cause. And so we see some things about leadership here in in chapter uh, 2 and and following in chapter 3. Let me just give you this first one. A leader should not worry about where the credit goes. Nehemiah was committed. He wanted the wall to be built so that God's name would be exalted in Jerusalem and his people would no longer be a reproach to him. If you will read, and you have homework to read, all these verses and all these chapters, there's no mention of a wall built in honor of Nehemiah. There's no plaque There's no gate that's called Nehemiah's gate. There's no tower that's called the Tower of Nehemiah. There's no part of the wall that's Nehemiah's wall. He wasn't concerned about. He was concerned about the vision that he had to do what God is asking him to do. And he's a leader that's not worried about credit. Number two, a leader must motivate people. This is a big one for me, if you just think about it. There's got to be motivation. Think about it. Some had been back in the land almost 100 years. Some came in that first wave with Zerubbabel, and they got uncomfortable, as I mentioned earlier. They're settled. Uh, They're there. Uh, There's no wall built. They hadn't been motivated to do that. And Nehemiah motivates the team to action. I I, I had a map for you before we begin in in chapter 3. You might want to find your sermon notes, and on the back of these sermon notes, there is a map, and it is awesome. I don't know who did that. Drew and his group, I guess, did that. But take a look at the map. We're going to start at the top, the northeast corner. We're going to start in the top right-hand corner with the Sheep Gate. And if we were to read the entire chapter, we would go counterclockwise all the way around through those gates, those walls, all the way down by the Pool of Siloam, and all the way back, all the way up to where the Sheep Gate is. They're going to cover all the area there. And it's interesting to note, as Nehemiah motivates the people, that he begins with the high priest 
and the priests. Let's read a representative text of chapter 3. Let's look at the first five verses. Would you join me as we read chapter 3, verses 1 through 5? Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests began rebuilding the sheep gate. You see it? They dedicated it and installed its doors. And after building the wall, the Tower of the Hundred and the Tower of Hananel, they dedicated it. And the men of Jericho built next to Eliashib, and next to them Zakur, son of Imri, built. Verse 3, the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. And they built it with beams and installed its doors and bolts and bars. And next to them, Mermoth, son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, made repairs. Do you see why I don't enjoy reading out loud this chapter? Wow. Let's keep going, though. Beside them, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, or Chaya, son of Meshabel, made repairs. And next to them, Zadok, son of Bana, made repairs. Are you getting the picture, church? Beside them, the Tekoites made repairs. And notice this phrase. But their nobles did not lift a finger to help their supervisor. So you see, as a leader motivates the people, look how Nehemiah starts. He starts with the high priests of all people and with the priests. And we see in verse 1 that they're rebuilding the sheep gate. Now that's important. What did, what, why do you think it was called sheep gate? It's where the people had brought their offerings, their sacrifices into the temple. Remember now, the temple is inside of all this stuff that they're rebuilding. It's very important. And here's the, think about the priests, and they get to be the ones rebuilding the sheep gate where the sacrifices would come. And we see here, next to this guy, next to this guy, other people are repairing different sections. I think Nehemiah got everybody excited about the idea, and the dream team responded. Well, almost everyone. Did you catch the last phrase of verse 5? These nobles of Tekoa? an area outside of Jerusalem, chose not to participate for whatever reason. I think that's a lesson for us to look at. To this day, in 2020, as we read that verse, we see that their lack of work is an indictment even today upon themselves. And yet Nehemiah just plows right on. He does not allow their rejection or the opposition from the others we read in chapter 2 or any other dangers outside the walls and in the areas, the regions around Jerusalem. He doesn't allow any of that to squelch the motivation for the project. See, a leader must motivate people. Now, let me just give, bring that into focus for you, a picture of a motivation with a deadline. Have you ever had motivation because of a deadline? Yeah. <laughs> September 13, 2020, Hoffman Church, have to preach. Wow. How about this one? This is a practical one. Anybody ever had relatives come over and stay at your house? Now, this is not about my wife, Lynn. Maybe. There is great motivation when you get the list on what you need to clean. I'm the toilet cleaner and bathroom cleaner in our house. Okay, now you're not going to shake my hands, are you? <laughs> and when the relatives are coming and staying or even coming for dinner or someone... There is motivation to complete a task that has a specific deadline. Are you with me? Are you tracking? Any guys out there shaking your heads up and down? I saw you elbow your wife while I was mentioning that. All right. 
Yes, so motivation has to come, and it comes here. And Nehemiah does a great job. He's a dedicated leader. Number three, a leader must plan, must organize, and delegate. As we read chapter three, if you go into every single verse there, you're going to see the work is broken down, not just with the sheep gate, but we already saw with the fish gate, that came up already, and different towers. We saw two towers already and sections of the wall. It's broken down into manageable units. It would be horrible for me to come in here and say, church, here's what we're going to do. And it's this massive, can't get your arms around thing. You see, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Yeah. And here he's got all these manageable units for different people and different folks. All these sections and gates and towers listed. And there were supervisors to lead tasks and there were different workers and things. Well, let's keep talking about leadership for a second. Number four, leadership must oversee. You see, delegating does not mean dumping or dictating. Isn't that good? Delegating does not mean dumping on people or just dictating. One can be sure that when Nehemiah went around expecting the progress, there's no way this could be done in 52 days without him going around, talking to his leaders, getting involved in their lives, helping them keep things moving towards the goal. I'm going to give you an example of this. Look what he writes in verse 20. Let's look at verse 20 of chapter 3. After him, there's another one of those afters. We're moving on. We're, we're moving on to the angle, the water gate. We're moving on to the tower on the Ophel. We're moving on to some other things. And he says this in verse 20. After him, Baruch, son of Zabai, diligently repaired another section. From the angle to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. Did you catch that? Interesting. He notes something. In my version, it says he diligently repaired. Maybe you have something like that. Maybe yours says zealous or zealously. It's a strong word to describe. It hasn't happened in a lot of these other places, but all of a sudden it pops out there. There's Baruch, and Nehemiah notices he must have been involved to see that. And this says this guy is diligent in his work. You see, Nehemiah knew what was going on. He knew what was doing what. He records it, but he knows how they were doing it. And Baruch did an exceptional job. And finally, a leadership, a leader gives uh, proper recognition. Apparently, Nehemiah wrote down in detail who was doing what on this project. Would you agree with that? It's very detailed, a very detailed narrative, a story, a first-person account of all these things that are going on with hard-to-pronounce names. And some are even mentioned, though, I want you to catch this, as completing more than one section of the wall. So proper recognition is given to people that went the second mile. Look at verse 4 and verse 21. In verse 4, which we already read, we see, uh, we see catch that, Merimoth, do you see that? Look at 21. Beside him, Merimoth, same guy, son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, made repairs to another section from the door of Eliashib's house to the end of his house. So there's giving recognition right there to a guy who did this, and then he came around over here and did this. Look at 5 and 27 as well, and notice what happens. In 5, we just read about the Tekoites. 
And we think, well, that's infamous because their nobles would not lift a finger. But the people of Tekoa are working there. Do you see that? They're making repairs in verse 5. And then we jump to verse 27 and we see this. Next to him, the Tekoites made repairs to another section from a point opposite the great tower that juts out as far as the wall of Ophel. So there's a couple examples of noting and giving recognition to people that responded that went the second mile. And throughout this chapter, as we think of the dream team, I want you to realize this. It's important to note that God recognizes these people. Do you, do you believe in God's word today? Now, I know it's not in the ancient languages, it's in English, but I have such a high view of God and Scripture that I believe that God has given me His Word just exactly as He wants to give it to me. You believe that, church? And we can debate things, and we can look at theories, and we can look at uh, this translation equivalence of this, this, or this. Let's get rid of all that and just realize God has given us a love letter a revelation of himself to us, and he has it just like Lamar needs it. And as we read it, it reads us. And so God having in Scripture all these names and what they did is him recognizing them. He could have just said the dream team. You know, he could ask Lamar. I said, just put the dream team in there. That'll be good enough. No, he didn't do that. He lists all these names. So I think that's important, recognition. Well, let's get to the final point today. That's willing workers. And hopefully this drills home for a lot of us here today. For some of you that are watching online, that you would really think about that. Go back to chapter 2, verse 18, and we see the response of the people. We can't miss this part of the context. They say, let's rebuild. Let's go. And they accomplished together what no one could have accomplished individually. So let's think about willing workers for a minute. First of all, they're willing to cooperate and coordinate. Now, I'm going to talk fast here, guys, and I'm going to give you verses, but I'm not going to have time to read them, or we'd be here until the barbecue gathering on the 20th. It would take that long. And some of you would like to sleep between now and next week. So I want you to think about these verses. I'll give them to you quickly, though. First of all, dealing with willing workers here on this dream team, they're willing to cooperate, and they're willing to coordinate. Number one, some worked in front of their own homes. We see it in verse 10. 23, 28, 29, and 30. I'll read verse 10 so you can see that I'm not lying here. After them, Jediah, son of, I can't pronounce his name, made repairs across from, you see it? His house. So first of all, we see people with an obvious personal benefit. They're working in front of our homes. But get this, secondly, some, came, some workers came from outlying cities, outlying regions to work. Verse 2, verse 5, verse 7, verse 13, verse 14, verse 16, verse 17. If you'll go and study where these people are from, you'll find out they're not living right there in Jerusalem. In verse 2, we, we saw that when we see the men of Jericho. They came. And you can read on and on all these different people. They did not have really any personal benefit outside of protecting the temple. But they're willing to work for the overall cause. This speaks to my heart. They are away from their families for quite a while. Now, there's various reasons. They could not travel in and go back every weekend like, you know, maybe you do with your job. 
Also, there was danger out in those outlying regions. So they came in away from their family, away from their homes, and they're serving right next to people who are working in their own backyard. Number three, people worked regardless of rank or privilege. I don't find it uh, just coincidence that in verse 1, Nehemiah starts with the high priest. There's some rank. Would you agree with that? And we see that in verse 1. We also see the priests in verse 1 as we think of rank and privilege. Also in verse 20 and 28. Then there's another section of people that are listed in 9, 12, 14, 15, 16, 18 and 19. These are rulers or officials. We might even say mayors or commissioners, something like that today. Let's just catch one of those. Let's look at that first one in verse 9. Next to Rephaiah, son of Hur, ruler, do you have that word, or official or something like that in your translation, ruler over half the district of Jerusalem made repairs. So there's People working regardless of rank. The Levites are mentioned in 17 and 18. David and his group, wherever David is, all right? Yeah, the Levites are working side by side. In verse 12, a, a unique reference is made. There's daughters of a guy working. Verse 26, there's temple servants. So regard, it didn't matter what your rank was, what your privilege was, whether you were here, here, or down here. It does not matter. You're coming together to work. That speaks to me, church. And notice they also worked in close proximity. If you'll study this chapter based on your uh, translation of Scripture, your version, you're going to find probably at least 15 next twos. This guy built next to this guy, next to this guy, next to this guy. And you'll also see at least 16 after them or after him. After him, they did this. Or after them, he did this. Proximity. And of course, cooperation reigns. Each knew their task and they interlocked together. Whenever I think of interlocking together and working together, I think of Legos. Anybody? Any, any Lego people in here? We, we had four boys grow up at our house, and we had a tub, I'm not kidding you, this big full of Legos. And when you put them together, they are amazing how they interlock together. But any parent in here, any grandparent in here will know the power of one Lego. <laughs> when you get up in the middle of the night to go get a drink, and the child, bless his heart, has left one Lego on the floor, and you step on it. Anybody? It is not functioning for anything of any good. But when they're put together, when they're cooperating together, it's amazing. And we see this with willing workers. Number two, let's move along. The workers were willing to complement each other for the overall cause. Again, we've noted, but I want you to, to see how this happens. There's different jobs for different people that are going on. As you read this chapter, you discover there's nine gates right here. Look on your map. There's nine gates. There's multiple towers. There's sections of the wall, multiple sections that have to be worked on. Uh, he gets specific even. He talks about doors and beams and bolts and bars and roofs. Different jobs. And then if you do a word study, it's interesting in this chapter. Uh, this chapter talks about work. And the first word is build or rebuild. And you see that word describing the work. Then you see just one time in the chapter the word fortify or restore. But it's also a biblical word 
describing doing the work. And then, of course, the main one here is the word repair. And it's 30 times they're talking about the work. Number three, some of the workers were willing to work outside of their areas of strength. Now think about this for a minute. Do you ever read scripture and just look for some practical stuff or even some funny stuff? I thought it was great that the high priest, picture the high priest back then. The high priest and the priests are working outside their area of strength, right? I guarantee you the building trade was not part of a class in seminary that they took. And the rulers and officials, they're doing manual labor. They are not administrating. They're not creating ordinances and laws or flowcharts or whatever else. They are doing manual labor. The Levites are not serving in the sanctuary at this moment. They're doing construction. Even if we look at the last verse of chapter 3, let's do that. The goldsmiths, verse 32, and merchants made repairs between the upper room of the corner and the sheep gate. This is when it came all the way back around. They're leaving their specialty, their business to serve. I think that's important. And finally, number four, some workers were willing to do less glamorous or desirable jobs. Numerous unnamed laborers are working that we don't have here. Think about what it was required in rebuilding. Someone had to carry the mud, the bricks. Someone had to clear up the work site each night. Someone had to do that. And they're not even named, but they're serving in a non-glamorous job. But let's look at verse 14 and see a, a job that's not very desirous. This really jumped out at me. Malchiah, son of Rechab, ruler. He's a ruler. Ruler over the district of Beth Hakarim. Repaired the, are you ready for it? Dung gate. He didn't just throw some mud at it. Look what he did. He rebuilt it and he installed its doors, bolts, and bars. Do you know anything about the dung gate? That should be on your map if you look down in the south. That was said at the south of the city. The dung gate opened up to the Kidron Valley. And if you know anything about uh, Israel and that time, you can still see the Kidron Valley today. But that's where the people all brought their trash to burn. In essence, that was the dump. Hmm. This guy, a ruler, is getting it after right there. Interesting. Well, let me conclude in, in this way. As you think about it and as you study this chapter and you look at it, a few things. First of all, working together, being on a team, being part of a dream team, is nothing new for God. I want you to catch this. As we look at Scripture, as we read specific Scripture, we're reminded of the entirety of Scripture. And let me remind you this. There's no more to give us this side of heaven. Amen? God has given us His complete Word. Hear me, church. And we look at it, and as we take this view and look at it, and we come in on just this short 52-day period, we're reminded that working together is nothing new with God, because God shows us in his scripture that he is Trinity, right? He is Trinity. He is working together. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In fact, I would dare say right now, if we allow and if we are receptive, God the Holy Spirit is working right now in our lives. And you people that are watching online as well, he's used to this. And again, I want to restate that God works through people. 
and his work happens effectively when everyone participates. As I close, I want to tell you about the first baseball team that I was on. We had just moved to Alamogordo, New Mexico. Any Tigers in the building? Didn't think so. Oh, one. You're not very That's it? Woo? Woo? I thought I'd get go Tigers. Well, and God in his wisdom and humor moved us there the day before I started sixth grade. Parents, not a good thing. Don't move somewhere from Denver, no less, from the big city, the day before sixth grade. So it was rough. But later on uh, that year, I got on a baseball team. And I just want to tell you about it. Have you ever heard of the Bad News Bears? Some of you are old enough to know that. This team, I think we won two games all year. I'm giving you an example of what is not the dream team. We didn't have a vision. We had one kid that, that you've heard the story, it actually happened to us, was looking at a butterfly when a fly ball went to right field and it hit him, I kid you not, it hit him in the head because he was worrying about the butterfly, okay? There's no vision of winning, of barreling down and seeing what we can do, making outs and scoring runs. And then coaching. You ever been on a team where the coach was a dad because no one else would coach? So there wasn't much dedication there. And then willing workers wasn't so good. It went so bad. I was playing center field, and they hit a high fly ball, and the fence uh, for that little league was chain link. That, the home run fence was only about that high. And I went to catch the ball, and we had such good vision, such good dedication. We were so willing that as I was reaching, this was an ESPN, oh wait, there was an ESPN back there, but it was an ESPN top 10 moment as I reached over to make that catch, our left fielder plowed into me. And as I hit the fence and went down the fence, I saw the ball pop over for a home run. We couldn't even communicate who was going to catch the ball. I say that to say this. There can still be dream teams today, and they look quite different than that baseball team. There still can be churches, people of God, that make a difference in the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to get still and focus in for a minute as we wrap up in this way. I want you to listen. Maybe at home today, go put the dog in the closet or something. I want you to pay attention right now to what I'm going to say, and it's this. Maybe today in your life, as we've talked about this story a little bit, you recognize that just as Jerusalem needed the rebuilding of the walls, maybe your life today needs some rebuilding. Maybe you need God to come in and rebuild. Maybe in your life, if you're honest with yourself, you're honest with God today, your gates are burned down, you feel helpless, you can't pull out the flames and the fire that's around you and they're destroying you. The message that you need to hear today is this. And Jesus is woven throughout Scripture, amen? There is a much greater leader than Nehemiah. He is one who can deliver you from the danger facing you. He is the one that can give you purpose, motivation, direction in your life. And his name is Jesus. Say that with me, church. Jesus. 
And he is the one who can deliver you. You see, Jesus came and gave his life for you and for your sin. And I want you to hear the good news today, and it's this. The good news is this, is that God loves us so much that he worked out salvation in Jesus. And this is the day you can trust by faith in Jesus to be saved from God's wrath over your sin. A verse in the Bible we think about all the time is this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that's Jesus, that whoever believes in him will not perish, would not be destroyed by the sin and the fires around them, but would have eternal life. Jesus is God's way of salvation. Jesus said in John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You know what, church? No one comes to the Father except by me, through me. You are watching today or you're sitting in this room today and it's not an accident. God has been working in your heart for you to be here, for you to be hearing these words. And I just want to say this to you today, that God demonstrated his love towards us that while we are sinners, it doesn't matter how you qualify your life, Christ Jesus died for you. No matter what you think about your past, Christ Jesus died for you and he can save you. In the book of Romans, there's a very simple, short, blunt verse, and it says, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you need that today, would you just pray to God and say, Thank you, God, for working in my life. Thank you for giving me right now the faith to trust in you, for you to forgive me and save me. Now, Christians today, I want you to consider something. Think about the derision that God's enemies heap on broken down walls. We saw a little bit in chapter 2, and later on, if you'll read in chapter 4, you'll see this derision, this opposition. God's enemies love to heap on broken down walls and fire burned gates in our lives even. We know that we know that we're saved. We know we have that personal relationship with God, but maybe we keep getting beat up, or maybe we don't have the boldness that we want to have, or maybe we're not earnest enough or willing enough to serve in God's kingdom. Know this. God is on our side, and God desires to work on us. And I would ask this question today of you Christians. Do those folks know that we're Christians by our actions? Is it evident to them? Do they see the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ being lived out in us? Do they see a love that can only come from Jesus? Because these are the things that extinguish those fiery darts that they're throwing at us or at Christianity. Christian, perhaps today God is speaking to you and saying, I've got a job for you in my kingdom. Let's go. Let's rebuild. Brothers and sisters in Christ, come. Let's rebuild for the glory of God. Would you pray with me? God, today we come to you acknowledging that everything we do is for your glory. God, today I want to thank you for sending Jesus to save me and others from our sin and bring us into relationship with with you. God, I'm so grateful for that. I'm reminded 
of Scripture that says without the shed blood of Jesus Christ, there's no forgiveness of sins. And so I thank you for that today, God. And today, God, I want to pray specifically for people that may be listening right now online or in this room that don't yet have that relationship. God, I pray that today they would take the faith that you're giving them right now. God, you're giving them giving that to them. And they would take the faith to take a step and say, God, I give my life to you by faith. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for saving me. God, I pray that lives would be transformed today. God, we ask for that. God, I also want to pray during this response time, just as we're quiet and thanking God, that, that you would challenge those of us who call ourselves Christians that there would be fruit in our life, that we would, be not, we would not be scared of your work in your kingdom, and that we would join together and push back the darkness. God, help me, help us. And instead of complaining about our culture, God, help us to inject Jesus into our culture, our schools workplaces, our neighborhoods, God, even our families. God, we thank you that you hear our prayer. We thank you so much that you are in our midst as we give our praises to you. We thank you that you answer our prayers, and that is our prayer today, that God's lives would be saved, and that saved lives would be quickened and challenged to serve. God, I thank you for your word, for this opportunity to share. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Good morning. And I just want to say welcome, Lamar and Lynn. We are so delighted to have you here today. My name is Kirby Jefferson. I'll go through real quickly what the process is as we um, complete the vote from the congregation with regards to the call for Lamar and Lynn. Um, <clears throat> let me begin by reminding everybody that per the bylaws, it requires a 90% vote from the congregation. Now, there's been a bit of confusion on that, so I want to make sure it's, it's clear. It's very specific in the bylaws that it's 90% of those voting. It is not 90% of the total church membership. That would just be very um, unwieldy to try to make happen. We spent a lot of time as we went through the bylaws, and uh, we've, we've talked about that in a number of meetings. So it's 90% of the total votes that are, that are cast. Uh, because of the COVID-19 issues, um, we've had to modify our process a little bit. Normally, we would require everybody to be in attendance. But because of COVID and, and the restrictions around that, we are allowing both mail-in as well as emailed votes. Um, and so the church council did pass a resolution that would allow us to do that so that we remain within the, the, the structure of the bylaws. One of the things, the feedback that we got, uh, particularly coming out of the last vote where we did the church budget, was people were a little bit concerned with regards to the ability to to cast your vote anonymously. And so we've implemented a new process, and uh, I'm not gonna go into a lot of detail, but if you look at your ballot, you will see that you have the vote on the top and your name and signature on the bottom. 
And we have, with the assistance of John Torrenson's organization, we have a third party that will be involved. Um, they're not a member of Hoffmantown. They'll be involved in separating and doing the validation of the member and then separating the signature from the ballot so that the, the vote tally people will only see the ballot. They will not see the names and, and everybody's name will be kept anonymously. Um, for those that are on in the church today, we would ask that you drop your ballot in the um, offering boxes at the back of the church. Um, for those that don't have pens, there's a table uh, back on the uh, south, what would that be, the northwest corner, um, pens for you to fill out the ballot. We encourage you to do that and then drop those in the offering. For those that are online, um, we really have three options. You can email your ballot back. You receive that ballot from Susan, just email it back to Susan, signed. You can bring it by the church. There'll be boxes out by reception for you to bring it by the church. And we ask that most people try to do those two things. But for those that are homebound, that it's difficult, they're not, they don't have the technological capability to email them back or they can't get by the church, what we would ask you to do is call the church at 828-2600 and um, then uh, the, our deacons um, have set up a mechanism by, whereby they will go out and um, pick up your ballot. And if you don't have a ballot, they will bring a ballot to you. So please feel free. That number again is 828-2600. The ballots are due by 5 p.m. tonight. And once they're all validated, they will be handed over to the pastoral reveal team. And they will do the tallying of the votes. And then an email will be sent out once they do the tallying. I don't believe that tallying is going to take very long, so I would expect pretty quickly, pretty early this evening, maybe the end of the first quarter of the Cowboy game. Um, the, um, the um, I heard those boos. Um, we, will, we will have uh, have an answer on that. So thank you all very much. It's, it's wonderful to see so many people in church today and it's great. We, we know we've just got so many people online that are, that are uh, participating and it's just, this is an exciting time. So thank you all very much. There's no place to sign on the bottom of the ballots. Okay, if you I'm sorry, if you received your ballots as you came in, they validated your name at that time. So you're, you're already validated. And one other thing that I should have mentioned, you know, you heard this phrase, vote often and vote early. Because we're checking off, you can vote often, but you only count once, okay? So we've got a process to make sure of that. All right, thank you all very much.